You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Car Feature. With Nicole Lowe. Car Feature time with Nicole Lowe. And he's here to answer all of your technical your technical car questions. Give us a call. 11 in the WhatsApp line. 072-702-1702. Nicole, welcome back. How are you doing? Pardon the failure, listeners. All good. Thank you. So today we are talking suspension, kits and shocks and springs and... Those fancy things that, in my mind, I, again, am imagining a Snoop Dogg music video with the car going up and down. Yes, I think that's (laughs) about right. (laughs) So, as background, I think we just can discuss a bit the basics of uh, spring and damper setup. So, we know the suspension of your car is very important. It needs to smooth out the road. It needs to help with the handling and so on. But why do you need springs and why do you need dampers uh, or shocks? And why do they need to be in combination? Have you got a clue? No idea. Okay. So let's start with the springs first because I think that's the easier one to understand. So springs would normally be in our cars, coil springs or buck. sometimes have a leaf spring at the back at the rear axle or some of the fancy cars will have air suspension, but it's basically a spring stall. So a spring, the, the first um, thing that the spring does is it carries the mass of the car. So if you don't have a spring in your car, it will just drop to the ground and, and stay flat. Obviously, your suspension can move. Um, but the spring is also there to sort of store kinetic energy. So if you go over a bump, the spring compresses, and then on the other side of the bump, it needs to push the wheel down again. So it goes from kinetic energy, stores it in the spring, and then it goes to kinetic energy again as it pushes the wheel down. So with a spring, there's also the engineering term of a spring constant, which basically means the more you compress a spring, the more force you need. So if, you, if you're strong, you can compress the spring quite far. If not, you can't. So it also depends on, obviously, the spring constant and how stiff the spring is. Um, that's with springs. Now, consider a car going over a bump just with springs, no shock absorber. So it will be like that that uh, movie you're thinking of or the song where the yes. car just continues bouncing down the road. <laughs> because there's, there's nothing that will actually dissipate the energy. It will yes. just continue bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. So that's why you need a damper or a shock absorber. So how the shock absorber works, it's normally a piston filled with oil uh, and there's some holes in the piston. And as you compress the shock, the oil is forced through these holes. But the trick with the shock is if you compress it very slowly, it's easy to do. You can do it by hand. You can easily compress and extend the shock if you do it slowly. But it's linked with speed. So the faster you try to do it, the more the shock will actually resist you. So think of a shock that responds to speed of movement, not displacement. So a spring is more a displacement, but the shock cares about how fast you're trying to do it. So if you go over a bump, uh, then what the shock will do, it will dampen the oscillation. So Mm. it actually takes that energy, and because it dampens the oscillations, it actually converts that energy to heat. So the the people that do like rallies and so on, they will realize that the shocks get extremely hot because it needs to dissipate that oscillation energy somewhere, and that's how it does it from uh, movement to heat. So that's what allows the car to sort of reset itself after it hit a bump 
it shouldn't continue bumping, it should reset the suspension and be ready for the next one sort of. So that's why you always need springs and dampers in combination to give you the ideal handling and ride characteristics on a vehicle. Now, as the average person that's deciding to buy a car, I mean, are these things you take into consideration or is it when you're test driving that you need to feel for certain things, especially considering the number of potholes we have in Gauteng? Yes. So, obviously, when it comes to new cars, um, the car is designed and developed by the engineering team for a specific role. So, if you buy a sports car or a hot hatch or so on, you'll realize the suspension is quite firm. It's quite hard. And the reason for that is, obviously, it needs to improve your handling, the contact patches with the tires on the roads and so on. If it's more a family-orientated vehicle or SUV, you'll find the suspension is much softer. It gives you that comfortable ride but it might not be as uh, efficient going around corners at speed. But that's not what it's meant for. So when you buy a second-hand vehicle, especially with some mileage on it, the spring side of things, if it's a coil spring or so, and that really gives you any issues. It's more the shocks that's got a, a sort of a, a certain life that is designed for. And one of the easiest ways to see that the shock is, is on its way out if it starts leaking, as I mentioned, the working fluid is oil. There's quite a few seals uh, in that shock absorber. So if you look at the, that's immediately a roadworthy failure as well if there's a leak from the shock. And they all talk about the, the bump test as well. If you push down on a corner of a vehicle on the suspension and you let go, you expect that, uh, that uh, shock or the spring uh, unit to jump up again to the, to, the, the, to the height before you compress it, and it shouldn't oscillate. So you, you can push it down, let it go, and if you want to be more scientific, there's actually a ways and means where some of these companies can measure uh, the, the shock absorber and the responses of it to tell you if it's in a good condition or not. But as I said, the bump test works fairly well. Looking for leaks on the shocks, that also works very well. Okay, and I think it's important that we take these things into consideration. I'm assuming nickel, are these things quite expensive to replace if you have a problem with any of them? Yeah, it all depends on the type of vehicle as well. So your run-of-the-mill vehicle uh, that we all buy and sort of affordable vehicle, suspension, the dampers are the most uh, expensive part, but it's not crazily expensive. But when you get to your performance vehicles and so on, especially when you move into air suspension where the spring is actually a, a air bag, um, or you move to the dynamic sort of suspensions which you can control the ride modes, uh, sometimes it's got a valve that you can mag- magnetically change the opening or the setting of the valve to give you sort of a comfortable ride or a sporty ride. And those kind of dampers are extremely expensive. I can only imagine, especially for some of the the big brand cars, it must be quite pricey. The lines are open 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072-7021-702 for any of your technical car questions with Nicole Lowe. We've got Benji in Midrand. Hi, Benji. Yes, hi. Hi, Lebo. Uh, this is Benjamin. Now, I have a problem with my EcoSport. I took it back to the dealership four times but they couldn't still solve the problem. But the problem started after they replaced my brake pads and then they skimmed the disc. So the problem is when I reach maybe 100 k's and I'm driving and someone cuts in front of me and I try to brake, the steering column starts vibrating. 
So I don't know how to solve it because I'm now out of warranty. Thank you. Mm, Nicole? Okay. Yes, so the shutter on the brake shift system, that's a very typical thing that can happen is that you get the shaking through the steering wheel, if it's especially on the front wheels then. And the only way to fix that is to change the discs and the pads. So sometimes the dealership will try to take a shortcut where they change the pads and they what they call skim the discs, try to make it flat again. But it never works because once it actually gives you that uh, vibration, that sensation, what happens is hot spots on the discs and it will just, uh, it might go away for a bit if you skim it, but then it will return. So the best way to fix it is new discs, new pads on that front axle, and then your situation will be rectified. Uh, Benji, does that make sense to you? Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much, Benji. And maybe, Nicole, I can ask, um, I've found myself in a situation, I've heard many people having issues with their brakes, right? So why is it that sometimes brakes will squeak and then you'll be told that they are fine, there's nothing wrong with them? Is the measure for somebody like yourself that brakes are not okay, is that they are ineffective because a squeaky sound to a driver feels like, oh my gosh, these are going to stop working at any moment. But I understand sometimes it could just be like dirt or something like that. That is correct. So uh, the worst sound that you never want to hear is the metal-to-metal sound. So when the abrasive material, uh, the wear material on the pad is actually worn down to the metal backplate. So if you fail to service your car, you just continue driving that metal backplate on your brake pad, and I'm talking about disc brakes, then will actually be in contact with your with your disc, and that gives you the horrible, horrible metal-to-metal screeching sound that, uh, yeah, that, that, that is really not a good sound to hear. But when you hear, sometimes you do get dust into your, your system or um, sometimes the temperature is like that. You sometimes get it with high-performance brakes, even your carbon brakes and so on, that you can get a slight, slight squeaky sound when you put your foot on the brake. There's no... Um, there's, there's, there's no uh, reduced braking effort as such, but you get that squeaking sound, and nobody likes squeaking brakes anyway. So sometimes what you can do is just replace, uh, replace the brake pads. Uh, that will give you new friction material, and maybe the sound will, will go away. But, uh, yeah, there's different levels of sound. That grating metal-to-metal, that's the one that you need to be careful of. So what is it called when they're skidding down the, is it the discs? Yeah, so what happens is uh, the disc, if you look at the disc and where the pad actually contacts on the disc, it starts to slowly eat away on the disc and it leaves an edge on the outer edge. If you actually run your finger over the disc when the wheel is off, you can actually feel an edge that starts to appear on the, on the outer edge of the disc. Uh, and what they do when they skim, they try to flatten that surface again. So take that edge off and maybe all the grooves that's been uh, created over the years of braking, they try to flatten it so that it meets up with the brake pad per- uh, perfectly. But as I say, uh, not a lot of skimming happens these days because the, the new brake discs sometimes is almost the same price as what it costs to skim it. And, and in the case of the shuddering uh, the brakes, it's best just to go for new discs to start yeah. off with. Yeah. Okay, I've got you on that one. Let's go to Alan in Johannesburg. Hi, Alan. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. And you? 
uh, Nico, please help me. Yeah, I've got a 1990 Toyota Corolla 1.6 automatic. It's got, yes. you won't believe this, Nico, 63,000 Ks on the clock. And every time, unfortunately, my mom passed away. Mm. And every time I take it for a drive, I get to a robot or something, and that whole steering rack just shakes. What do I do? Okay, so, so, so it's a, it's a, it's a the vibration or a shaking through the steering wheel as you come no, to rest, or all the way during the braking effort. All the way during the braking effort, you can actually hear it go, not you know, and not the noise from the front, not from um, the, the wheels, it's from the steering wheel. Okay. So obviously the, the the caller we had just now on East, uh, that was definitely the brake discs uh, that were warped uh, and that you need to replace the brake discs and pads. Uh, sure. But it sounds a bit different on yours, but I'll also investigate it just to take that out of the, the question. But please look look at all your um, suspension mounts. So obviously a 1990s old car, um, the rubber bushes that split it between the moving parts of the suspension and where it fits to the body and so on, uh, those those rubber mounts can sometimes worn. They can actually collapse or they can just the rubber pieces can actually fall out. And then it's a lot of movement there. And it can be that the braking effort excites uh, those components and they go in sort of an oscillation. And that's maybe what you feel on the steering wheel. But even the steering rack itself, just check, because there's a lot of, uh, like, for example, ball joints on the end to, to the no, wheels. Sure. There's okay. where it actually fastens to the, the body itself, the steering rack. Make sure that nothing is loose. So best is maybe to take the car in the 50 gigabit once over. And I've got a feeling it might be either a, a, a joint or a, a bushing or something is loose. Or, as I say with a previous caller, maybe it is a, a warp disc up front that needs to be replaced. Uh, thank you very much. Can I ask you a personal question? Would you sell it? Yo, that sounds like something that goes, <laughs> needs to go in a museum. So I, I would keep it if I'm yours. That's sort of a classic now. I was going to yeah, say no. the same thing. Alan, yeah, keep it. and Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Keep it. Maybe in 10 years' time, you're going to get a pretty penny for it or even longer. Let's go to Clarice in Johannesburg. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. And you? Good, thank you. I would like to ask uh, some advice. I'm driving a Mercedes-Benz C-Class 2007 model. So I've just replaced the uh, shocks. They were leaking oil. But now since they've replaced them, I'm hearing some noises like <laughs> when I'm turning, especially when I'm driving slowly. I'm not so sure what could that be. Hmm. The car, uh, it feels stable, but not as previous as it was. Okay, so I presume there weren't any noises before the shock replacement and now with the shock replaced, there's some noises now. So my recommendation would be to take the vehicle back to where the shock was uh, replaced, the shocks were replaced, and let them check if they fastened all the mounts because obviously uh, there's a few components that has come loose for you to change the shock. And if they haven't tightened everything, there might be something that's loose and now there's play that will give you that noise. And I know with a shock, the top mount is normally a, quite a culprit that can give you those those noises. But 
Uh, obviously, without hearing the noise and experience it, it's very difficult to tell. But the reason I'm saying is taking it back is because the noise went there. Now it's there. So it's definitely something that they overlooked. Definitely on that one. Thank you, Clarice. Wishing you the best there. Kachiso in Pretoria. Go ahead. Hi, hello, Hili. Mm. Can you please ask Nicholas for me? Ne? I'm driving a Jetta 6 2012 model. Ne? Mm-hmm. Once the temperature, the oil temperature reaches 70 degrees, it starts to show the oil pressure sign on the dashboard. What causes this? So does it give you an oil pressure warning when the temperature goes hot? Is it the yes. warning that comes on the, on, is it the oil pressure light that comes on? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, the oil pressure is obviously in a, it's a sensor. It's normally quite a, a dumb switch. It's basically open or closed, and it sits in the oil gallery. And when it detects low pressure, it makes an electrical connection that actually lights up the light on the cluster. So, when you key on and you haven't even started the engine, that light should be on. It also tells you that the bulb is still working, but once you crank the engine, the oil pressure builds up, it opens that switch, and that light goes off in your cluster. So when that light returns again, it means that either the switch is broken, it's not telling you the truth, or you've actually got low oil pressure in the system, which is very worrying because low oil pressure will lead to engine damage fairly quickly. And if you're telling me that uh, the light only comes on when the oil gets hot, um, it's slightly worrying because when the oil gets hot, uh, the viscosity is a bit lower and it can actually drop in oil pressure. So maybe it's on the limit of oil pressure. When the oil is still cold, it boils enough pressure, but when it heats up, it goes over that threshold where it tells you now it's low, low pressure. So my recommendation will be check out that switch first Maybe even replace the switch because that's a cheap component to replace. Make sure that component is telling you the truth. Maybe even get the the technician to measure the oil pressure. But if it's indeed low oil pressure, then I would definitely look at your oil pump and so on before you get serious damage on your engine. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I was was wondering what caused it because we don't know what it caused. No, thank you. Thank you so much, Gahiso in Pretoria. And also to yourself, Nicolone. thank you to all of you for engaging and sending through your questions for Nicole.